A few decades ago, I was a youth pastor at a church, and uh, a small group of students uh, decided that they wanted to do some kind of a service project. Uh, it was just a, somebody's small group, uh, and, and so uh, we had talked about it, and they decided they wanted to give away water. They thought it would be kind of a neat thing to do. To, to, you know, it, it was a nice summer day. They thought, let's give away water. So they scheduled it on a Saturday, and, and they, the students went out and got the water bottles, similar to these, maybe a little bit smaller. And uh, they filled the coolers with ice and water, and then they went to the local grocery store. They got permission ahead of time to go to the grocery store, and their intent was to just give away free bottles of water. Now, I said this was a couple decades ago. This is before everybody carried water bottles, and certainly before before everyone had hydro flask with their nice cold water in them. This was like, you know, a few decades ago when we lived in the dark ages, right? When you don't when water was free, that would be another reason. Yeah, that's interesting, right? And so, uh, so what they found though, this was a very interesting project that uh, uh, they, they went on a Saturday, they spent, they were there for a few hours, and when they came home, they were incredibly disappointed. When they came back to the church, they were incredibly disappointed. And they found that the people had basically three different responses to free bottles of water. The first response was they, uh, they assumed there was a catch and they wanted to hear the story that went with the water. And the kids were like, no, we're just giving you water. And so people would reluctantly take it. The second response is that people would look at the water and they wanted to buy the water. They said, well, we'll make a donation. Nope, we don't want money and they would walk away without the water. And then the third group, as soon as they were approached about water, went, nope, no thank you. I'm not thirsty, I don't drink water. You know, those kinds of responses. It was like, stay away. And the lesson learned, so you know, we talked about it, and it was one of those, I was actually quite astute back then, and I uh, knew that this was a teaching moment with these students. And so as we were unloading coolers that were as full now as they were when they had left. Uh, I said, what did we learn about this? You know, they said, people don't like water. You know, people are mean around here. Like this, these are the responses that, you know, and I said, but isn't it interesting? I said, people assume that free means there's a catch. There's something else that goes along with free. And then I had this great moment with these middle school students I said, if we can't give away water for free, imagine how hard it is to convince people that God gives forgiveness away for free. It costs us a lot to buy these cases of water, but what a beautiful lesson for our students is that if we can't give away free water, how can we convince people that the love of God is free to all of us? So I was reminded of that story as I was preparing the message for uh, this week uh, from Ephesians chapter 2. Last week we began this new series called Church on Monday, and we are reading through the book of Ephesians, and I'm encouraging you to read through it uh, with me. And there's a this is a letter that was written by Paul in the first century to the city of Ephesus, and in a couple weeks uh, we'll be talking about Ephesus and what was going on in that city and those kinds of things. But I uh, just want to give a quick read 
recap. Last week we talked that uh, in chapter one, Paul says it's all about Jesus. Everything is centered around Jesus. The agenda for the reason we gather and the reason we are a church is, is it's about Jesus. The church gathers and the church launches and our gathering and our launching is always about Jesus. And this morning, we're going to discover, if we didn't know this already, that Jesus is free. So the church gathers and launches. We talked about that last week. And, and we also, and again, this is kind of a, a quick recap, but here in this building, it's interesting that uh, what I'm about to say, you all get this really clearly. The church is not a building, right? 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 It's not a building, right? So it's a, matter of fact, for us, it's a community center. All right. If we're going to call it a building, this is the building's called the community center. But every Sunday, the church gathers and we gather here and we gather in Voorhees and we gather and we gather so that we can uh, share our exploits from the week before so that we can meet people we haven't met before how we can, and we can connect with others and so that we can be a witness to and worship the God of the universe who chooses to be here with us as we worship. And so the church gathers together and we gather for those reasons, but we also launch. We gather and we launch. And so we begin our worship time where we uh, invite you in, we welcome you. And we, we and, you know, as a matter of fact, I was just writing down in my notes uh, that to ask Lonnie that when she does the welcome, we probably ought to welcome during the second song because most of you aren't here during the first song. Uh, <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to work on that. We're going to welcome a little bit later to, to connect with all of us. But, uh, uh, but, but so we do this welcome at the beginning of time where we invite you in and we invite God to be a part of this time. And then we launch out, right? And, and often at the end of the message, I will talk about that we go out outside these doors and there's people who are unaware of the love that God has for them. And so we gather and we launch, right? And we launch as God's dream community, right? That we are living in this world as examples to the world of what it means to be following after Jesus. So every Sunday is a gathering and a launching, a gathering and a launching. And so this week, we're going to continue this series on church on Monday. So if you took my challenge from last week, uh, I encourage you to read the six chapters of Ephesians. There's six chapters. You can read one chapter a day, Monday through Saturday. You can take Sunday off, all right, reading one chapter every day. And my challenge this week is to do the same thing, all right? Read Ephesians again, uh, one chapter each day, and you can start tomorrow, chapter one. A Tuesday would be chapter two, and then you'd be on chapter six by Saturday. But here's how I want you to read it a little bit differently this week. As you read through those six chapters, as you're reading, every time Paul uses a pronoun, I want you to notice that the pronouns are always plural. They're always plural from chapters one through six. And I believe it's every time. And Randy will correct me at the end if it's not. But I'm almost sure it's every all six chapters. And that's because the reason the pronouns are plural is that uh, Paul was writing a letter to the church that was meeting in Ephesus. He was writing to the gathering of people who met in Ephesus. They would gather and worship, and then they'd launch out into the world. They'd gather 
and worship God and launch out into the world. And so he's writing this letter about community, and he was writing this letter about unity. And you can't have community or unity without plural, right? Because otherwise, you've got some other issues if you've got some unity in your and disunity in your head, right? There's some other things going on, right? So if it's just you, so there has, it has to be plural, okay? So it's community and unity. So as you read through the six chapters, notice the pronouns and notice that they're always plural. And we're gonna, I'll give you an example of one that's gonna be up on the screen now. It's from Ephesians chapter two. Uh, this is verse eight and nine. It says this, God saved you, plural, Saved you. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for that, church. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. So don't answer this question. I want you to think about it, though. But when did you first start believing in God? When did you first start believing in Jesus? Maybe it was at church. Maybe it was uh, at your bedside when you were a child. Maybe it was in a car or maybe on a walk. I've met people who, uh, several people who chose to believe in Jesus while on a mission trip. I've met another person who chose to believe in Jesus after a conversation they had with someone else. Others while at summer camp, maybe that's your story. And then there are some who will say, I don't remember when I just started believing. And I don't remember the day or the time. I just started believing. See, I would suggest that there's no recipe for belief. It, um, it's just belief. There isn't a program or a plan or a specific way to do it when you believe. Some people, some churches would suggest that you need to come forward, right? If you've been to one of those types of churches where they have altar rails and you would come and kneel and, and it's only in those moments when you would believe in Jesus. I would argue that you can believe in Jesus in your car, that you can believe in Jesus in a diner that you can make a decision to believe. Uh, it's not a formula. It's a decision to trust Jesus. It's a decision to reorient or to redirect your life toward God. And I don't believe there's one specific recipe for how to do that. Uh, here's one of the reasons why I believe there's no recipe. If you were to ask Jesus, if he were here today, and that's funny, if Jesus were here today, this would not be the first question we would ask, but just go with me here. If Jesus were here today and we could ask him a question and we were to ask him, Jesus, give us the recipe on how to heal a blind person. Jesus would tell us there's no recipe because if you read the gospels and the, read the accounts where Jesus healed blind people, he never did it the same way twice. Sometimes he spit in a person's eye, like 
did like a, it was like a holy loogie kind of thing, right? He spit in their eye. Other times he spit on the ground and made mud and put it on their eyes. And other times he didn't do those things at all. Like there's no recipe for Jesus when it comes to healing a blind person. And so I don't think there's a recipe for how we as people who hear about Jesus and respond to Jesus. I don't think there's a recipe for how we choose to believe in Jesus. I think it will look different for every person. But one thing is the same. One thing is the same. No matter what your story is, no matter how it is you chose to believe in Jesus or as you're beginning to believe in Jesus, one thing is the same for all of us. And that is that it is a gift from God. Paul tells us that it's a gift from God. And we call that here, we call that grace. Uh, I just saw this on Instagram and uh, maybe Facebook. I saw this on social media. And uh, it, I think it's just this terrific, beautiful definition of grace. It was a little picture and on it, it said this. I messed up. My dad is going to kill me. Grace. I messed up. I need to call my dad. See the difference there? Grace is this free gift. It's this thing that is given to us freely from God. And it's demonstrated through the work of Jesus, that Jesus is sacrificed on the cross and God's grace is available to every person. In Jesus, it's done so that we don't have to do it. And as I talked about last week, Jesus becomes our hero story. And we may not know when we began believing in Jesus, and we may not have a dramatic story about believing in Jesus, but we do have a hero to our story, and that is Jesus. So together, collectively, we believe because of grace, we have this incredible gift from God. And that's what Ephesians 2, chapters 8 and 9 talk about. And Paul is talking to the church, talking to us. And then he says this in verse 10. And the reason the plural is so important is because verse 10 in the plural changes some things for us. Verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So there's two words there that we got to kind of talk about. The first one is masterpiece, and the second one is created, all right? So the word masterpiece uh, in the original language, it means something that is composed or something that is constructed or something that's made or manufactured, and we kind of would get that from masterpiece. But you also would call a masterpiece any work of art. Not That's the word that's being used, okay? It doesn't mean like masterpiece as in it, it is perfect. You know, like if you saw the Mona Lisa, you might say that's a masterpiece, right? If you were at looking up at the Sistine Chapel, you would say it's a masterpiece. But in this understanding of this word, it doesn't mean that. It just means that it is a statue or a song or architecture or a poem or a painting. They would all use the same Greek word that's been translated as masterpiece, okay? So it's basically what it's saying is it's something that's been artfully created, Something created by using art, okay? Uh, or the work of a craftsman. So if someone uh, were to make a table, they would describe it as, oh, look at this masterpiece I've just put together. So they're just talking about any kind of, of creation, 
All right, anything that is done with your hands or you're putting it together, okay? It's not just like, uh, you know, so th see how it changes that? So sometimes when people talk about it, like, well, I am a masterpiece, you kind of think, oh, look at that. I am a masterpiece. In the video, he didn't feel very much like a masterpiece, did he? As God's working on his life. So that's the word masterpiece. The other word is created. Now the verb created is used only, and this word is only used when talking about God, that God does creating. So only God creates. Now, see how it changes. Only God creates these masterpieces. So as God creates the same way, the same power that God could use to create the universe, he uses to create masterpieces. You and I. So salvation is something that only God can do in his powerful and creative work in us. So that when God chooses to do a work in our lives, God puts forth his very best efforts and his very creative, most creative powers to marvelously fashion and create us in Jesus Christ. So these two words together tell us that God is wielding his fullest, greatest, and most creative powers for you and for me. So it's God making a table, any kind of masterpiece. But God is the one. So notice now it has nothing less to do with what's being created and more to do with the creator. One person said this, we weren't just mildly saved. Rather, God took us into his hands and marvelously made us new in Jesus Christ as he released his most powerful creative forces and made us a workmanship or masterpiece that would be worthy to bear his name. And so God is in the business of crafting men and women into the people of God. Paul says, so that we can do good things. So that we can do good things. That we aren't just saved from something, but we're saved for something. Not so God can love us, but because God loves us. So then I noticed this. A couple weeks ago, getting prepping to work on this series, I was recognizing this plural language that Paul uses throughout these chapters. That as he's writing this letter to this church, and he says, we are God's masterpiece. We. It doesn't say we are God's masterpieces. It says we are God's masterpiece. That people are reoriented and created by God into new people, and those new people form a new creation Who's Paul writing to? The church. That God, like an artist, is using his full creative force to make us into a masterpiece. And then I found this one description in the definition of these words that opened it up for me. One way that you would describe something that's a masterpiece was a woven fabric or tapestry. And I went, that's it. 
it's like light bulbs went off in my brain. I was like, I get it now. I see what God's saying about we are a masterpiece. How does that work with us here together as this community gathering? I want you to do me a favor now. I know it's a little quirky. Look at your sleeve. If you don't have a sleeve, look at your neighbor's sleeve. And that's really creepy, but do that, all right? But I want you to be looking at a sleeve, okay? Now, I want you to notice something. Just think about this. Don't answer me, but how is it made? And I want you to look really, really closely at it. While it may be one garment, one piece of material, the closer you get down to it, you'll notice that there are likely little strands. And those strands crisscross over each other and are are overlapping each other. And together, those strands, those little individual strands, make this larger piece of garment. So we, you and I, the men and women gathered in this room, the children out in the hallway, the men and women gathered in Voorhees, we are part of this one church called Hope. And all of our little strands woven together, we are God's masterpiece. And so as the church gathers, as God is putting God's masterpiece together, these little strands have incredible importance or a great importance as we uh, work together to create this fabric, this masterpiece that God has. And so the individual men and women and boys and girls that are part of this are a part of the masterpiece that God's making, all of us here collectively. And so while we're here gathered, there's some things that can happen in this community of faith. And I want to give you three that if you got pen and paper, these are the three things you want to write down, okay? The first one is this. We answer three questions. The first one is, who am I created to be? And just write down the word be. B-E. You can write down whatever you want, but I'm encouraging you to write down the word be. See, every follower of Jesus is part of this tapestry that we're creating, this work of art, this masterpiece that God is pulling together that, that is unique. And God is handcrafting each person to be part of this larger masterpiece that God's putting together that becomes the full expression of Jesus. At Hope, we say that that's conforming, that we are in the process of conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. That's the B. Like in the video, sometimes there's painful work that has to be done as God creates these masterpieces within a masterpiece. And so B is an answer to the character question. It's an answer to the design question. It answers the greater question in how do I express Jesus to others? And so the B is answering questions like love and joy, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And God is forming the bee 
as we're conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. It's our character and our design. Who am I created to be? And then as we gather together, we begin to answer this next question and we work together in community as, as God is forming together these masterpieces within a greater masterpiece. And, and this word is do, D-O. All right. What am I made to do? What am I made to do? As a community of faith, together we investigate what do I do as part of this greater masterpiece. See, every follower of Jesus is uniquely gifted as a part of the body of Christ. And so here we're kind of answering a purpose question. Again, back to our statement about discipleship. Here at Hope, we say we are in the process of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ for the sake of others. For the sake of others. This is the do. This is the purpose. If you've never been to a setup at setup time here in this space, or if you haven't been for cleanup, you need to stick around and just witness what happens. It's the body of Christ doing together. And so every time I, I show up, I don't, I'm not a show up at 8.30 person. Uh, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a show up at 8.45 person, but I come every Sunday, all right? But when I walk in the door, there, there's like this buzz of excitement and energy and people are moving around and moving stuff and there are people who are sticking on skirts onto the front of the stage and other people are carrying pipes and drape around and other people are doing technical things with technical wires that I don't know how to do it. But here's what I noticed that's happening is there's conversation going on throughout and people are, hey, good morning, how are you doing? What's going on? How is, and, and life is happening and then there's inevitably somebody who's learning something new. So learning how to snap the screen uh, onto the frame and, 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 and do all the stuff we do. And, and we actually need people to learn how to make coffee. Erica's really happy that I just said that. So if you want to learn how to make coffee, uh, see Erica in the back. She'll be happy about that. Uh, but, but here's what I'm getting at, okay? It's the body of Christ all working together. It's all these individual strands woven together and working as something larger and God, uh, God, God's greater greater artwork. So setup teams, you see that happen. Our kids ministry that happens, our lobby ministry, all those places are places where we get to discover what it is that I can do. All right. What it is that I can do. Know what I discovered I can't do is all the technical stuff. All right. I just know how to put the mic on my ear. I don't know anything else back there. Corey, Corey, I forgot to get my mic uh, right before, so I had to run back there to get it. And poor Corey has got like, he's running dials and all sorts of things during that first song when you were all so in the parking lot and you know, all that was going on. And, and, and he's just working his hands and I'm like, I can't even help him because I don't know how to help him do this. Right. But, but I, anyway, I know what I don't do. All right. So the first one is B. Second one is do. What am I made to do? And the third one is go. So it's be, do, and go. Where am I to go to do it? Because the role of, of a community of faith is to be a mobilizing home base. We gather every week and we launch every week. We gather here and we worship 
We gather here and we encourage, we gather here and we inspire, and every week we launch. The church goes out into the world on Monday, so it's go. And so we use our unique design to encourage each other, but we also use it to express the fullness of Jesus into every corner of our world, into every corner of culture and to every sphere of society. So that means our teachers, our pastors, our engineers and our managers, our moms and dads and sons and daughters, whether we're at home or school or work or the office, we are bringing the church, the expression of Jesus into our worlds. Be, do, and go. And so let me just say that we miss you when you're not here. Because part of the tapestry of this place isn't, part, isn't here yet or isn't here. You miss out when you're not here because you're missing what's going on in the life of this church. The body of Christ and the church gathers together every week and we believe that everyone's not here yet. We believe that God is creating God's masterpiece. And so for me, the empty chairs that are around here are prayer prompts for me about the men and women who aren't here yet. That there are men and women and boys and girls in this community who are going to come. And they're going to be woven into the tapestry of God's masterpiece. So there was a slogan in, uh, in 2003. It actually launched a business. Uh, it, it was already a business, but it became a global enterprise with this slogan. And you're going to remember it, and that's how good it was. Uh, it's up on the screen. You can do it. We can help. Do you remember that? Home Depot, based, that slogan launched Home Depot into the stratosphere. Their business model took off. At, in, between 2003 and 2009. It's when they grew their largest. They were saying, you can do it and we can help before the DIY culture began. Guess when HGTV started? 2009. At the end of Home Depot's, you can do it. We can help. Some of you in this room took that to heart. All right? And so you build and make and do things like build homes, right? You build onto your homes. Know, know what I do? I like find someone who can do it. <laughs> That's how I've uh, modeled that, right? You can do it, we can help. You can do it. I can watch. <laughs> but I want you to listen to Home Depot, okay? If we're going to see every nook and cranny of society filled with the fullness of Jesus, our responsibility as a community of faith is to help each of us discover our be, do, and go. That together, that's what we do. One of the things we do when we gather. Because God is recreating our lives and God is building us together into this masterpiece as individual strands and as this larger tapestry. So Paul ends chapter two with these words. Uh, I want to read it from the message version this morning just because I like what it says and I think it is uh, easy for us to, uh, to apply. Paul says, God is building a home 
He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here in what he is building. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. So we're uh, in the month of April, we have two events coming up. They connect to this passage in this sense. Uh, we're doing something called Build-A-Bunny. I've mentioned this before. Uh, we were able to partner with the... Uh, um, Mount Laurel Library, uh, I had this great idea. Chris is in the room, so I have to be careful. I had this great idea of uh, we should do Build-A-Bunny, and then I convinced Chris it was a great idea, which was my greatest feat. Not the idea, but convincing Chris we should do it. And so we've, we've purchased 100 bunny skins. They're stuffed bunnies without stuffing in them yet. So they look like, they kind of look like roadkill right now, but, <laughs> but they're flattened bunnies, right? And, um, and, and what we're going to do is we're inviting, and Mount Laurel Library joined us, so we're going to invite people from the community to come in and make bunnies, all right? Here's how I think that connects, is that on that day, on a Saturday morning, when we hope this place is filled with families putting bunnies together, that... Mixed in throughout the room will be God's masterpiece. And we will be praying that the people who are here will begin to fit in brick by brick and stone by stone. And if they don't have a home church, that they would consider coming to hope. Maybe at Easter or maybe on another Sunday. And so you can go to meethope.org bunny volunteer and sign up. If you have kids and you want to build bunnies, you can go to meethope.org forward slash bunny. Not flat bunny. I thought that would be better. But. <laughs> April 6th. It's a Saturday. Saturday, April 6th. The following Saturday, April 13th, Chick-fil-A is invited us to be part of their extravaganza. That's another great event. They'll have thousands of people at their event. And again, men and women and boys and girls who are not part of our community, who I believe can be grafted in and part of the tapestry of who we are. If you're not part of a setup team or a kids ministry or lobby ministry, if you're not in a small group, let me encourage you to be part of those things as well because you'll discover your be and your do and your go as part of those commitments. If you need a small group on Tuesdays, I have a small group that meets right in the music room, right through that door, every Tuesday night right here in this place, uh, 7.30. Do you remember Mission Impossible? When I was a kid, Mission Impossible was the first TV show that I was, I was just enraptured by this. All right, I was just a little kid. I actually had to look up the dates and I realized I watched reruns. Uh, it ended in 1970, I would have been five. But I watched that show and I loved it. And I, had to th I was reflecting on what did I love about the show and here's what I loved, all right? I love shows uh, like this is that every week there was an invitation to go on a mission 
And the mission was always to save the world. Whatever I have dreams, my dreams are always saving people. That's what I do, all right? I'm always fighting off zombies or I'm fighting off something and I'm always saving people. That's my dreams. I'm always fighting somebody, all right? That's how I dream, all right? Anyway, so I, I was drawn towards the idea of saving the world, right? That's what happened every Mission Impossible, right? Mr. Phelps, if you choose this, to take this mission, right, you're gonna save the world and this tape is gonna self-destruct in five seconds, right? Also, and this is part that I thought was the coolest thing, is a team assembled to work together on this mission. And they all brought their talents and they shared them. And I went to Wikipedia and found out some interesting things that some of those characters were only supposed to be a one-off. They were just supposed to play in one episode and then move on. And they were going to have different characters every time. And what they found is that people didn't want different characters. They were drawn towards the same people and they wanted the same people to show up because they started to trust those people because they saved the world last week. They should be able to save the world this week too. And so they had to give recurring roles. And then I love that this team were all members of the impossible mission force, the IMF. So there was this fraternity and they were part of this larger organization. And so I thought, isn't that kind of what we're doing here? We're gathering together every week and we launch out into our worlds. We gather together and God is making us into God's masterpiece. And then we launch out and bring Jesus to the world. We're discovering our be and our do and our go so that others can discover that God's grace is available to them and that God loves them, and that God will forgive them, and that God has a new and reoriented life for them, and they can discover their be, do, and go as well. That's your mission if you choose to accept it. Will you stand with me for closing prayer? So God, I thank you for the men and women in this room. I thank you, God, for the love that you have for us. I thank you, God, that we can worship you in this space. And now I pray that, God, that as we go, we would know that you love us beyond our imaginations, that your love for us is great, that you are weaving us together into your masterpiece, and that, God, there's a world out there that is desperate to know of that kind of love and that kind of commitment to us. So God, I pray that as we leave here, we'd be launched out into our world, that we would, we would be salt and light in our communities and in our workplaces, and God, that we would see the world changed. Men and women and boys and girls would learn about the great love that you have for us. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You guys have a great day.